Thank you, choir. Thank you, Richard. Bob Carmack caught me in the hallway and said, wait till you hear this one today. <laughs> it's going to be a good one. It was. I appreciate so much the intentionality that you take in planning out worship. It, it really, it, it means a lot to, it's like we could go home. Really, that's a sermon in itself there. But again, I have some words that I'd like to say, so please stay. Uh, what a privilege, uh, Tars. Thank you for letting me uh, dedicate your child this morning. What a, a beautiful privilege it is. Ah, I know, it was awesome. Yeah, we had a good time. Yeah, he didn't even uh, cry or, or uh, spit up or anything. So yeah, that was amazing. We were uh, so pl- blessed and privileged. It was good to see some of you in the back that I don't get to see either. So that was nice. I realized where some of you sit now. So that's good. Today, we're going to close our series on being the church. And we're going to finish this out uh, with this idea that we are the church, like the choir just sang. And in order to do that well, let's, let's recap kind of where we've been. We started out talking about Abraham and, and how we are called with the same call that Abraham received to go and leave our familiarity, our comfort, and our identities behind into a new identity and a new place of service, and that we are blessed in order to be a blessing. And that that we are called to be the blessing to all the Gentile nations of the world. That that is our biblical calling in Genesis 12. And then we flesh that out some more the next week by looking at this idea of being missional people who are constantly outworking the mission of God. That the mission of God drives everything that we do at home, at work, at play, and at church especially. And then in week three, we moved into some of the particulars of how we do that. We do that by realizing that we are exiles, that we are sojourners, that we are but poor, wayfaring strangers who are passing through this world, that this is not our final destination or our home. And then last week, we looked at a case study of some exiles, some actual exiles, Daniel and his buddies, who were taken by force from their homes in Israel to Babylon, where they lived as slaves. And we saw how they resolved not to defile themselves while they were there. We also saw how they they remembered their true identity, that they were the people of God. They weren't slaves. They were God's chosen people. And then we saw how they rejected being assimilated into good little Babylonians. They rejected assimilation to the culture that was dominant around them. And finally, how they released their expectations to God. Come what may, uh, we're going to do the right thing and remember who we are as God's children. So today we're going to close by looking at a word that God actually said to the exiles in Babylon. We're going to see some of the words that the Lord gave to the prophet Jeremiah to the people who were living in Babylon with Daniel and his buddies during this exile period as refugees. We're going to read a famous passage from Jeremiah 29 that I believe a lot of you are familiar with. It's a beautiful promise of God's faithfulness to these people who are in exile. And in my youth ministry days, we would always ask the seniors to give us a life verse or something like their their favorite verse uh, for the graduate recognition service. And inevitably, over my years of youth ministry and 12 years of doing this, probably I'd say a good third of all the responses were Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, that's the NIV, says plans to prosper you, and and not to harm you, plans for for good and and not for evil. That's a great promise, isn't it? It's a a beautiful, beautiful verse that God pledges to us that his plans for us include good things. 
that they include our prospering and our productivity. That's a beautiful thing. And we can claim that promise as Christians. I'm not knocking this verse, okay? Don't hear me say that. But you, you may have heard some preachers or teachers or televangelists use this verse uh, out of context, perhaps, to, to explain that Jeremiah must mean that God is going to give you all the things that you desire. If Jeremiah 29, 11 is true, then I'm going to get that promotion at work, right? Or I'm going to get that fancy new car I got my eye on because the Lord's got plans to prosper me. Or I, I'm, my marriage is going to be easy, smooth sailing because the Lord's got plans to prosper me because Jeremiah 29, 11. Well, that may be taking it out of context, right? I heard a, a new phrase for when you take something out of context. Remember last week I said that any text without a context is just a pretext for whatever you want to say? That's true, isn't it? Uh, the term I heard for that is, is called a contextomy. When you take something out of the context that it's in, it's a contextomy. That's an actual uh, scholarly word now. And a, a, a televangelist might use Jeremiah 29 as a contextomy by saying, well, according to this verse, if you just send in all your life savings to my ministry, then uh, you will be blessed and God will prosper you, right? Because Jeremiah 29, 11. Uh, that's, that's a context to me. That would be taking it out of its immediate context. And you see that, you know, this, this idea that God's word tells us in 2 Timothy that we need to rightly handle the word of truth. When Paul stood before King Agrippa in Acts 20, he, he said, I've declared to you the whole counsel of God's word, right? So this morning, that's what we want to do is look at the whole counsel. Let's dive a little deeper into this text this morning and see what God's really saying behind this beautiful promise of Jeremiah 29, 11. Let's start by asking some contextual questions. First, who's God talking to here? Let's back up to verse 4 in Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Well, it's clear that he's talking to his people. Israel, the covenant people that he has set apart to accomplish his purposes for the world. That's why we're talking about it today, because this is about the church. God's covenant called out special people. But there's that word again that we see here that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. Exiles, to the exiles who I've sent into exile. The reality of Jeremiah 29, 11 is that he's talking to slaves. He's talking to people who have been forcibly removed from their homeland and taken to Babylon as slaves and as exiles there. That's the context in which the promise of Jeremiah 29 11 comes. You may say, okay, so sure, they're in exile, but Jeremiah 29 11 means that God's going to deliver them. He's going to bring them back to Jerusalem, right? They're not going to be there long. They won't suffer. They're just, God has plans to prosper them, so they must not really be slaves for a long time, right? Well, let's keep reading Verse 5 and 6, build houses and live in them while you're in exile. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Does it sound like they're going home soon? No. God tells them to build houses to plant gardens. Let your kids get married because you're not going anywhere for a while. 
You are in exile where I have sent you. Let's not forget that for a good while. This is not a popular message, is it? No wonder seniors don't choose five and six for their senior verse, do they? <laughs> About staying in exile. They choose Jeremiah 29, 11, the promise. But we've got to understand the context of the promise. They are going to be there a while. You know, you might enjoy church a little more this morning if I just said Jeremiah 29, 11 means you're going to go have this great, beautiful life and get everything you ever wanted. Now let's pray and go home. But my concern is to help us be the church that God wants us to be. And in order to do that, we need to realize the, the whole counsel of Scripture. We need to understand what God is saying to us as exiles and strangers and sojourners in this life. So we've been saying the last few weeks that the reality for God's covenant people is that we are in exile, aren't we? We're not at home. We read that quote from Meister Eckhart who says, God is at home. We are in the far country. We are, again, poor, wayfaring strangers. Our citizenship is in heaven, not here. That's important to remember during election season, isn't it? <laughs> but the key is that we have to see this as a good thing. In order to accomplish our God-given mission to change the world, to, to bring it back, to reach the lost, all those things that the choir just sang, in order to do that, we've got to be called out and different from the rest of the world. We read during week three, John 17, where Jesus tells his disciples, you are not of this world, but I have sent you into the world so that you can be my hands and feet and change it. We have to be different in order to make a difference. That's a good thing. If we're going to fulfill our God-given purpose in life, then we have to live this way. That's a good thing. So Jeremiah knows this, right? And by this point in Jeremiah chapter 29, he's spent his entire career prophesying doom. He's been telling the Israelites, God takes your sins seriously. He's going to judge it if you don't repent. He, he loves you and he wants your heart and he wants you to come to him and, and be the child that he made you to be. But if you run to these other gods, he's going to execute judgment on behalf of his namesake and his glory and because he loves you as well. So the, the most popular prophets during this time in exile were the ones who ignored these warnings. If you want to be popular, you, you, you preach the, the best life now kind of stuff, right? So these prophets that were there in Babylon were saying, God says he's going to bring you home real soon, I, I promise. And people said, ooh, we like that prophet. We're going to listen to him. One such example is in chapter 28. The previous chapter, his name was Hananiah. We know that this guy told the exiles that God would break the yoke of Babylon soon, and they would return to Jerusalem in no less than two short years. Look at verses 2 and 4 of chapter 28, if you have your Bibles. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, this is what Hananiah says, I have broken the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years, I'm going to bring, this place all, bring to this place all the vessels of the Lord's house, which Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, took away from this place, the temple in Jerusalem, and carried off to Babylon. I will also bring back to this place Jeconiah, son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, and all the exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord, for I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. So the prophet of God... Jeremiah says in response to this, yeah, that'd be great. 
May it be so. Look at verse 6. The prophet Jeremiah says, Amen. May the Lord do so. May the Lord make the words you prophesied come true and bring back to this place from Babylon the vessels of the house of the Lord and all the exiles. But the truth was that God was sending his people into exile for a long time. It's hard to hear the truth sometimes, isn't it? It's easier to live the lie, to, to live a self-deluded kind of life. But we know where that ends, right? Self-delusion does not end well. If you want to live the life that God's made you to live, then you have to receive the truth and live in the light and not in the darkness to, to come clean and realize what the truth is. In the end, it's always better when we live by the truth than living the lie. So we must listen with honest and open hearts and minds looking for what God's reality actually is and not the self-delusion that we put in front of us. Jeremiah then, after Hananiah prophesies these things, he hears the truth from God. God says, you got to go correct this false prophet because my people are dying. They think they're going home soon, and they're not. They need to know the truth. So look at verse 15. Jeremiah says to the prophet, Jeremiah the prophet says to the prophet Hananiah, listen Hananiah, I love that. In the ESV he says, listen Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, and you've made this people trust in a lie. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will remove you from the face of the earth. This year you shall die, because you've uttered rebellion against the Lord. The easy life returning home within two years is rebellion against the Lord. Living faithfully in exile, that's God's will. Isn't that interesting? For the church, that's, that's huge for us. So then look, look what happens. In that same year, in the seventh month, the prophet Hananiah died. Two months after saying, you're going to be going home soon, guys. Don't sweat it. Don't get comfortable because we're going home. Two months later, he's dead. He's gone. How many of us today are living the lie? How many of us today are choosing self-delusion over reality? Let's walk in the light today and come clean. So what is the reality? What is the truth for us as the church in exile? Well, we know that they're going to be there a long time, that they're not going home anytime soon. So what's God's plan for them while they're in exile? That comes next. Verse 7, my favorite personal verse in this whole passage. After God tells his people to build houses and settle down there and give their kids away in marriage, then he says, but seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. The word that is over and over in that verse again is welfare, right? In your Bible, it may be uh, in, in their peace or in their well-being or in their uh, flourishing. The, the word that in Hebrew that's used for welfare in, in my Bible is, is in Hebrew, it's actually shalom. You may have heard that word shalom before. Some of you probably know that Shalom has to do with peace. It's often translated as peace. Isaiah, the prophet, when he prophesied about the Messiah who was to come, he, he said that this Messiah would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Shalom. That's the word that he uses there. And what's crucial for us to understand today is that Shalom is not just peace. It's a much richer and much broader term than just peace. When we think of peace, most of us think of absence of conflict. When my kids are asleep, <laughs> all of them at the same time, 
There's peace, relatively speaking, in my house, but not necessarily shalom. See, shalom is, is not just peace. It means something more like peace and prosperity. Shalom has to do with flourishing. Shalom has to do with thriving. Shalom describes things when they are the way that God intended for them to be. Shalom is when God's will, his good and pleasing and perfect will is done. That's shalom. Shalom means that things are happening on earth as they are in heaven. That's shalom. It's a lot more than peace, isn't it? That's who Jesus is, the prince of human and world flourishing, the prince of thriving, the prince of shalom. So how do we seek the shalom of the city that we've been sent to in exile? That's the point of the sermon today. Be seekers of shalom. According to verse 7 here, we've been given our instructions for how to live in exile. We are to seek the shalom of the city to which we've been sent. And in doing so, we will find our shalom by helping Nashville to look more like heaven and less like hell. When we do that, we are bringing shalom to where we've been sent. And in doing so, we find our shalom because then we're playing our part in the story that God has written for our lives and for the world. We're being the conduit of his blessing to a world that desperately needs it. So let's finish the passage and see where this leads. Verses 8 and 9. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and don't listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Again, we talked about these popular false prophets. God clarifies that if you follow them, you're choosing to live the lie and not in reality. You're choosing self-delusion. God tells Jeremiah this in direct response to Hananiah and those like him. Don't listen to people and heed what they say just because you like what they happen to be saying. That's how 24-hour 24 24 news networks make their living, isn't it? By telling people what they want to hear, right? We need to be careful with what we hear because we just like something doesn't mean it's true, right? We need to seek what is real and actual reality. Then look at verse 10. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years, not two, 70, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. 70 years. The truth is that most of the exiles are going to die in exile. The truth is that they're giving their kids away in marriage because they're going to raise grandchildren in exile. And most of them are not going to return to their homeland of Israel. The, the key here is you can hear this as a bad thing or a good thing. Because you, you see in verse 10, it says, I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. The, the truth was that most of them would die there, yes, but God has a plan. God has a plan for these people in exile to play their part in his redemption story for his people. He did not abandon them while they were in exile. He promises them shalom while they're in exile if they will play their part in bringing shalom. What happens is they live there for a while, yes, but then they play their part in bringing in the redemption of their people. 
because God sends King Cyrus the Great from Persia to come and destroy the Babylonian Empire, and he sends the Israelites back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city and the temple. The generation that was in Babylon is just playing that part in that story. That's where we are today. We, the church, have a part to play right now in God's story here at Woodmont. What are you going to do now at Woodmont? 75th anniversary is over. What are you going to do going forward? What part will you play in God's redemptive story for Nashville, for Tennessee, for the world? We don't really see the big picture, do we? I think a lot of us tend to question, God, what are you possibly doing? You, you've abandoned us. Are you really going to fulfill your purposes for the world, God? Or have you left us alone? I was reminded this week, uh, a mentor of mine told me that God is not slow to fulfill his promises. Look at 2 Peter uh, chapter 3, verse 9. It'll be up on the screen. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Isn't that good to remember? The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise. He's patient with us. He's taking his time because he sees the big picture, and we don't. Let's remember that this morning, that God is God and we are not. So he says through Jeremiah here, I will fulfill my promise and bring you back. His timing is perfect. We just don't understand it. We have to trust it. We're left to trust and obey. We walk by faith and not by sight. We're, we're left to follow and do the next right thing each day in obedience and discipleship following our Lord Jesus Christ. And that brings us to verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare, shalom, and not for evil. To give you a future and a hope. God said four verses earlier, you're going to find your shalom when you seek the shalom of the city around you. Here he says, I have plans to bring you shalom. So what's God's plan to bring you shalom? It's that you would seek the shalom of where you are. That's God's plan to bring you peace and prosperity and flourishing. We find those things when we faithfully and courageously live out the promise and the purposes of God in the context in which we immediately find ourselves today. Our hope, it says here, that God has plans to give us hope. Our hope is that we don't do this in vain. It's not a temporary thing. I have friends that are, are part of a Jewish congregation here in town, and, and their hope is so limited to this world. It really is. They, they admit that. They say, we're just here to do what we can that's good on this earth, and that's it. Well, that's, that's, that is defeating, isn't it? The work that we do for Shalom in Nashville and in the world is not a, a, a in vain. It is a labor that leads to a great redemption one day that God's going to break into this fallen world and say, enough, no more elections, <laughs> no more debates, no more poverty, no more cancer, no more divorce, no more abuse. No more war, no more uh, hungry mouths, no more refugees. He's going to say, enough. That's our hope, is that God will come back in and make all things new. 
that he will finish the work of redemption that he started in Genesis 12 when he called Abram, and that the high point was when he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place and pay the penalty for sin that we could never pay ourselves, and then rise again, conquering death forever so that death is now defeated. And we can say, oh death, where is your sting? Because our hope is in the risen Christ. Let us remember that as the church today, that that is the hope. On Christ the solid rock we stand. We just sang that with the choir. That's the truth that we need to remember this morning. And he hasn't abandoned us. Look at verse 12 and 13. Let's finish this. Lil convinced me to finish this off and not just stop at verse 11, but do 12, 13, and 14. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Here we have another amazing promise that the high and holy God of heaven and earth allows us who are but dust that he's breathed life into to come to him and find him, but only when we do so wholeheartedly because he knows that when we come to him with half a heart, when we kind of hold back part of ourselves and say, well, I still have these other idols that I'm clinging to and that I love, that that's not really coming to him at all because when you come to God, it's a call to come and die to be dead to your old self and be raised into a whole new kind of life. That's why we do baptism the way we do here at Woodmont and in Baptist traditions. And then we see this promise in our hearts that, that when we come to the Lord with all that we are, that we will find him. Some of you today, I'm, I'm sure, have not found God in a long time. Return to him today with all of your heart and see what happens. You will find him. That's the promise, I believe, here in Scripture. And let's close with verse 14. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. Amazing. The holy God says, I will be found by you, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and the places where I've driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I've sent you into exile. This is Christian hope, isn't it? That our homeland is in heaven with God, and that he guards our inheritance with the seal of the Holy Spirit. That Jesus, when he left, told his disciples, I go to what? Prepare you a place. That's our hope, that God's going to gather us to himself one day. But for now, we are in exile, and we have a purpose and a plan while we're in exile. Do you understand that this morning? That the key here to, to living in exile is to remember our hope is not in this life. Our hope is not found on this earth. Our hope is found in Jesus Christ and nothing less. St. Francis de Sales, he was the bishop of Geneva in the early uh, 17th century. He once wrote, bloom where you are planted. Bloom where you are planted. The truth is that God has planted each of you in a specific place and context for a reason. God has you where you are. Bloom where he's planted you today. Seek the peace and the prosperity of whatever environment God has you in, at home, at work, at school, at play, wherever you go. Seek the shalom there, and in doing so, you will find your shalom, your peace and prosperity. I, I'm, I'm a black thumb. Morgan will tell you. I, I just kill plants like crazy. Uh, don't ever give me a plant because it won't last if you want to see it thrive. Uh, but I do have this one patch of grass in my backyard that's like 15 feet maybe by 15 feet. And it's under a willow tree and it's, it's beautiful. 
I don't know. I, I put weed and feed on all my grass twice a year. I do what I'm supposed to do. I mow at an angle. But my, most of my yard is about 80% weeds, right? That I just kind of mow short. That You can't tell it's just weeds. <laughs> so this patch of grass, though, in the back is like lush and verdant. And it's always weed-free. And it looks like those Scots commercials, you know? It's just something you want to put a blanket on and just have a picnic on. It's so nice. You could say that patch of grass is shaloming. You could say that that's where shalom is happening in my yard. Shalom is wherever things are the way they were meant to be, where God intended for them to be. Where are places in your life that are mostly weeds? Where are places in your life that you can sow the seeds of shalom? Where can you bring about the flourishing and the thriving that only God's people through the Holy Spirit who embodies us can bring to a lost and dying world? This morning, we have an opportunity to do that through the ministries of Woodmont Baptist Church. In order to be the church, we've given you a, a commitment card this morning in your bulletin. I would ask that during our invitation time this morning, every one of you would look over the ministries of this church. You saw one of the stories from Woodmont. Andy Morris made that video. Incredible work, Andy. So good. Uh, I, we were blessed to, to learn about the Burrow Bag ministry. That's just one of about 40 ministries that Woodmont does. You may not know what these are. That's okay. You're not really committing to run it, okay? You're just saying, I'm interested in helping with this. I'm going to ask you to write your name, grab a pen, a pencil, whatever's in front of you. Write your name on the top of the card. Write your email and your phone number down. If you don't have an email, that's fine. Just put a way for us to get in contact with you. And check the boxes of an area that, that you feel like the Lord is calling you to sow shalom into today. All of you can, can be the hands and feet of Christ. Moses thought he was unqualified, right? Paul said uh, he was the least of all the saints, and God used them in mighty ways. God will use you as well if you come to him with your whole heart. If you choose to live in reality and, and forget the, the lie of self-delusion that you may have been living in. If you will commit to, to bringing shalom to a, a city and a place that desperately, desperately needs it. We have so many incredible ministries here at Woodmont and it takes each one of us doing our part to make these things happen and to make them effective. We're going to be telling more stories from Woodmont. Andy and I are already excited. We've got ideas for some other videos that we want to do and continue to tell these stories. But instead of just hearing the stories, <coughs> I invite you today to be a part of them. You will find shalom when you get involved in this. You will find peace and prosperity and flourishing in your life by living the way God meant you to be, by being the hands and feet of Jesus in this world. Let's pray and then we'll have our invitation time. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for giving us the plan for your people while we're in exile. Help us to seek shalom where you have us. Help us to commit this morning to sowing the seeds of peace and prosperity wherever you've placed us. God, we know that this world is not our home, but I pray that while we're here, you would use us Work through us to be the hands and feet of Christ himself. May we be the body effectively to a lost world that desperately needs him.
God, I thank you for the work that Woodmont's already doing. If we could tell all the stories of this place, it would take years. God, we know that you are at work here. We just want to know what it is that you're doing and how we can best join you in that work. May we now, during this time of dedication and prayer, really sense what it is that you are calling us to do. Give us clear direction and give us courage to step out in faith and follow your will for our lives and for our church as we move into the next 75 years of Woodmont Baptist Church. God, I pray that you would convict hearts this morning who have been living in self-delusion, who have not come to you with their whole hearts. May we return to you with all of our hearts today. We love you. We pray this in the high and the holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.